Um, so I'm going to be focusing on the mental health and really talking a lot about mental illness and the impact that it can have on spirituality and how to handle it within the church context. Amen. So the first thing I want to talk about is how mental health affects spiritual health. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10, it says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. There are brothers and sisters in our congregation whose thorn is mental illness. And just like with Paul, it's not something that can just be prayed away. It's not something that can just go away if you just try a little harder or if you just change your mindset. You can't just change it and it'll just disappear. And often, the experience of someone with mental illness is as though that they're being tormented. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think mental illness does not make someone lesser. It does not make them less spiritual, less of a disciple, less a, part, a vital part of God's kingdom. In fact, when we look at the scripture, we see a very different message. That God has an opportunity to be glorified. For it is when we are weak that we are strong. Because it allows Christ's power to rest on us. And that, and His power is made perfect in that weakness. You know, mental illness does not make someone lesser spiritually or make them not do well spiritually, even though sometimes the actions and the behaviors look different. And so, to give an example, if we think of someone who's in a depressive episode, okay, that really affects someone's daily functioning. And it makes it really hard often for someone just to get out of bed and deal with their day. So think about that. It's Sunday morning, someone has depression, they're in a depressive episode, and their alarm goes off, and they know they need to get to church. But they wake up and it's like that fog, that dread, that weight, that the thought of trying to get out of bed is so overwhelming, they can't bear it. And yet, they're trying. And finally, they get themselves out of bed, maybe they they throw on some clothes, and they get to church and they get there 30, 45 minutes late. They sit in the back, and then before, you know, right when the last song starts, they dart out because the thought of fellowship is just too much to bear. It's too much. And sometimes, you know, and this goes on for this person for weeks and weeks and weeks because a depressive episode could be weeks, it could be months. And, you know, for someone else on the outside looking in, we can see this behavior and think, well, what's wrong with that person spiritually? Well, they're not. They don't really seem committed. I mean, they should be at church on time because that's what we're taught. I wasn't here at church on time and I served 
and I was here and I fellowship afterwards and I mean if you're really struggling shouldn't you stay for the fellowship and get open with your brothers and sisters and get the help that you need because that's what we do as a Christian but I want us to think about this scripture in Luke 21 verse 1 through 4 as Jesus looked up he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury he also saw a poor widow put two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has, given, has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. You know, some of us can come to church and give and serve out of the wealth of talents and gifts and mental health and emotional health that we may have in any given day. And so when we get up for church early and we get that quiet time in and we pick up donuts, you know, for, for the worship team beforehand and then we're there and we're doing children's ministry or we're ushering or we're counting or we're, you know, one of the singers and then we stay and we help, you know, clean up after and we're fellowshipping and we're getting, you know, having these deep talks with people. That is awesome. And praise God that you can do it. But we have to understand that we're doing that out of our wealth. And that there's some people that come to church and they just barely got there. And took every single thing that they had in them to get there. They gave out of their poverty. And see, Jesus looks at that. And he wants all of us at the church to say, look. Look at the sacrifice. Look at what they've done. And I think we've got to really rally around our brothers and sisters that are hurting. And it can be in all different capacities. And really encourage and see the faith and see the sacrifice and the commitment that it took for them to do the things that we don't have to think much about. You know, I think where, where mental illness can really affect people is more in what I call their spiritual esteem. Because often what happens is it's a lot more difficult to connect to God, to connect to the love, to connect to His goodness, to His grace, to His power. Because just think about, you know, times when you go through any type of suffering. Sometimes those are the things that we start to doubt. And if someone especially lives with a chronic mental illness that cycles back, it really can attack them spiritually and discourage them and dishearten them. And I think that's where, you know, that's what Satan really attacks is to get them to feel guilt or shame because they're not living up to some standard, right, the whole checkoff list that we aren't supposed to do, but in our mind, sometimes our human nature, we can't help but do it. And so they can know that's there and they can know they're not living up and then doubt God's grace and not experience His grace. And I think, you know, that's, that's what really can affect someone's relationship with God and affect them spiritually. 
And I think realizing that so we can really get rally around and give the encouragement mm -hmm. that people need. Mm -hmm. So when to seek professional help? One thing I want to qualify is that if someone is having thoughts of suicide, of harming themselves, harming somebody else, that that's an emergency situation. Mm -hmm. That that is always a call to 911. Right. Taking someone to the emergency room, calling the suicide hotline. Okay, so that is always an emergency situation. But, you know, thinking about mental illness, one in five adults have mental illness. And less than half of them seek treatment, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. So if we just even apply that to this room, right, there's a good chance that at least 20% of us in this room have some sort of mental illness. And that less than half of that is seeking treatment. Okay? So what are things to pay attention to? for yourself or just to even notice with other people. But first and foremost, listen to the Spirit's nudges. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit is alive and active. Amen. So if it is on your heart, if you've had that thought, that nudge of like, huh, I wonder if I should go to therapy. Mm -hmm. I wonder if this would be helpful. I wonder what would happen. Like any of that wondering, pay attention to it. You know, also, the Spirit works through people. So if you have anyone in your life that's maybe been like, you know, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about therapy? Have you thought about seeking professional help? But that's another thing, especially if you've heard it from more than one person. Like, listen. Because there's people in your life that see things and know you and really care. Another sign to look for is when you have a persistent repetitive, um, cyclical something that affects your daily functioning and or the quality of your life, okay? And one of the places where you may see it is in your relationships. So when you see a pattern coming out in relationships that you're like, huh, why do I always feel attacked, right? If you always take everything as an attack, that can clue you in that there might be something there. Some specific symptoms to look for, sadness, feelings of hopelessness, lack of motivation, a change, either an increase or decrease in your eating, your sleeping, or your weight, irritability, mood swings, um, racing heart or shortness of breath, although those I definitely would get checked out from a medical doctor first to make sure there's not some other underlying issue. Difficulty getting out of bed, okay? Otherwise, other ways you might experience it is that you might say things like, my life feels so out of control. I feel stuck. I can't get out. I don't know where to go or what to do. A sense of confusion of what's going on. I don't understand why this keeps happening to me, why it won't change, okay? Those are some different things, like feeling like you live in the rabbit hole versus visiting it. Because we all visit it sometimes, right? So, but you know, when you're there and you feel like, I'm there more days than not, okay? Or way more days than I want to be there. That's another sign. And I think, you know, brothers, mental illness really tends to go unrecognized 
unreported and undiagnosed in men. And a lot of that's because of the way men are socialized. That men are socialized um, to not express your emotions. And especially to not express emotions of despair, sadness, hopelessness, self-doubt, shame. You can think about the messages that you received growing up and even now. And so oftentimes with men, the symptoms of mental illness look a little different. For example, the three main symptoms of depression in men are pain, physical pain, anger or aggression, and reckless behavior. Okay? So sometimes, you know, if there's a brother that really is struggling with anger or aggression, it might actually be depression. <laughs> Amen, brother! issue going on. You know, and I think sometimes it's really difficult to admit that we need therapy because it can bring up a lot of feelings. And sometimes we want to feel like, I don't want to be someone that needs therapy. Like I just don't, it makes me feel weak or vulnerable. Sometimes it brings up like, you know, well what does it mean if I go to therapy or need therapy? What if I find out I'm broken? What if it doesn't help or doesn't work? What does it mean about me or what will others think about me? And I think, you know, sometimes we can move away from those thoughts because we don't like having those thoughts. And then it just becomes like, I just need to pray more, which is awesome to keep praying, but sometimes you're really stuck and you need the professional help. I think sometimes we do that, I don't have time, I don't have the money, I don't have insurance, and I can't find a therapist. And I think, you know, really thinking are those things that I say, and, and fighting through that. You know, I think God's heart, you know, when we look at Matthew 11, 28, when he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You know, that is Jesus' bur- heart when we have that weariness. When we're really struggling with some, something and we're stuck, is that we can go to Him and that He will give us rest. God is such a provider and He provides us such rich resources within the church, but He's also provided us with resources outside of the church that we can use. And when those all work together, it really helps us be able to connect back to God's love and His grace and His power. So how if you see someone in your small group or in the fellowship that, that, you, that you think, gosh, when I hear all these symptoms or signs, they're coming to mind. First of all, it is not your responsibility or role to diagnose anyone. Okay? So even when we have these things, or like when I talked about like the anger and aggression and being depression, you don't know, you need to go around and be like, brother, you're depressed. Okay? You need to take that off, right? I think all these signs and symptoms are just to help you tune in to think this might be a mental illness issue. There might be something else going on under this. And I think also, you know, to understand this isn't something that you're going to fix 
This may be the per this person's thorn, and it may be lifelong. Amen. You know, I think helping someone with mental illness is not about trying to get them to do X, Y, and Z. Because sometimes we like those like, well, just do this. You just need to do this. If you just do that, you'll fix it. I think what it is, it's really watching for the discouragement, the disheartenment, the shame, the feeling of worthlessness, the guilt, and being that source of strength and encouragement. A place where they have the best chance to see God's love. We want people to experience the church as a place of shelter, Amen. of refuge, protection, for it to be a safe place. Because that's how God describes himself in the scriptures. And that's how the church should be. Right. So the way we help is by loving and serving. Amen. So some practicals. I think one, you know, Proverbs 25 20 verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Amen. You know, I think one great thing is to draw people out. Yes. To have conversations. Because yes. oftentimes people can feel very alone and isolated. Right. So some nice little conversation starters could be like, you know, I notice a shift. And I'm concerned. Can we talk about what's going on? And then you have to have the self-control to just listen. Yep. Right? Because so often our heart, our knee-jerk reaction is I can fix that. And let me show you a scripture. And it comes from such a great place of love and care. But it makes someone feel right. shut down yes. and not hurt. Yes. And so being able to sit there and just, I, I hear you, that must be so hard. Mm -hmm. I can see that you're really hurting, mm. right? Reflecting those things back and just, just showing them that you're really hearing them. You know, it's not a time to correct their experience. Like, I just feel like everything's against me and everyone's against me. No, they're not. Like, that's their experience. So listen and try to understand why they're experiencing that. To just ask, how can I help? What can I do? What would be helpful to you? They may not know, and that's fine. But just that they know that you're there and present. You know, you could do a, I, I can see that you're really hurting and have been hurting for a while. Have you considered seeing a therapist? Do you think that would be helpful? What are your thoughts about that? Is there anything I can do to support you in that? Right? It's just starting those conversations and having that open dialogue. And these aren't just like one-off one conversations. These are things that, you know, you check back in. If someone's like, I don't want to go to therapy, okay, let's talk about that, let it be, maybe we could check in in another month and see where you are and see how things are going and talk about it again, okay? But it's not your responsibility to make sure they get to therapy, right? Sometimes like you care and you want it so urgently, but they may have to process through and get to a place where they want to be there, okay? 
I think even, you know, asking, could I pull someone else in? Mm-hmm. You know, I think we are a, ch- a church of small groups. And to really have a group of people around someone mm-hmm. is so encouraging. And I think that, too, that way not one person feels like the weight of it, right? But that everyone is helping out and serving and loving and encouraging. I think continuing to invite them to spend time and to continue to reach out. I think what's hard is that they may say no and they may not respond. And that's okay. But you stay consistent. You keep reaching out. Even if, they, even if you hear nothing. Because sometimes our assumption is, well, I guess they don't want help. Or I guess they don't care about my friendship. Or I guess... And it's like, no, you're their lifeline. So just stay consistent, okay? Because it does matter. You know, it really helps them know they're not alone. And I think depending on how their mental illness is affecting them and their daily functioning, even doing things like bringing them a meal, offering to help them with laundry, sit with them as a call therapist so they can just have that support, Meet them at church and offer to sit in the back with them and then escort them out at the last song so that they don't have to deal with the fellowship, but then they don't have to sit alone either. Offer to go on a walk with them. I mean, there's just different ways to, like, keep those points of contact. And sometimes we just have to think outside the box and just be a friend. Just be a friend. You know, show scriptures about God's love and God's grace and His power. So that they can like have those in their mind, even if it's hard to connect to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in First Thessalonians chapter five, verse fourteen, it said, "And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone." Right. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what, we're supposed to be patient with everyone. Mm-hmm. But when someone has mental illness, they would fall under the weak category. Or also the disheartened category. And so you help the weak. That's what the Bible calls us to do. You encourage the disheartened. You do not warn, challenge, and confront the weak and the disheartened. And that's how the Bible teaches us to approach it. That when we warn someone who's in the weak or disheartened category, it ends up being so hurtful and damaging. And it reminds me of the scripture in Matthew 23, verse 4, that says they crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. You know, we have to be mindful because, uh, you know, unintentionally we can do this. That sometimes, like, we really want to help, and we see something, and we're like, sometimes we can make it so simple, like, well, if you just obeyed this, everything would change. And sometimes it's not that simple, that there are things that have to be worked through. You know, I think in Romans chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses or infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. In one of the commentaries that talked about, you know, it's those who have obtained a greater degree of knowledge 
or have a clearer judgment or are free from these scruples, which I think this is, that's the part, right? When you're free from the scruple, you're free from the difficulty of mental illness. That we ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. That means we have to accommodate ourselves to their weakness and not the opposite. Because sometimes we approach people and we're trying to get them to accommodate to our strength instead of really meeting them where they are. And sometimes it's hard when you don't struggle with something to really understand how difficult it is. Because it's like when someone has a broken leg, right, and they haven't even gotten it in a cast yet, like they just broke it, and if you go to help them and they freak out at you, you go, oh, they're in pain. I understand why they yelled at me. Let me try to find a different way to help them, right? The same thing can happen with someone with mental illness. You may go to help, you may get a bad reaction, but we don't see the injury. So we go, what is wrong with that sister? What is wrong with that brother? I am just trying to help. They need to repent, right? Like we can kind of like get in that place and we've got to realize like this person is hurt. And if one thing isn't helping, let's adjust. Let's Let's really go to their weakness, accommodate their weakness, instead of trying to get them to our place. You know, and I think, just to kind of talk a little bit about burnout, because I think sometimes that's the word that I hear come up, is that one of the things, I think burnout can happen when... When, we're really, when we really get in that mindset of trying to fix, when we try to take someone and put them on our strength, and we try to fix them, and we try to solve it, and we try to have that good talk, and they're better, they're back to baseline, we can have that unrealistic expectation. And I think, you know, this is the challenge, right? Is that it's really understanding it is not your responsibility to remove their thorn. It is not. Right? But what happens is that when you get with someone and you care, we often can feel like what we're doing isn't having the effect that we want it to have. Or we don't see the effect. Right? And so then it brings up feelings inside of us. Because then we feel helpless and powerless because we don't know what to do. We don't like those feelings. And we usually don't sit there very long. We shift very quickly back into, let me push it harder, right? Like that's often where the, let me, let me get them to conform to my strength. And we like confront and try to fix and we, we try to do that. Because feeling like I'm just sitting here being with the person doesn't feel like enough. And it brings up feelings in ourselves. Or we can kind of get the washing our hands of it. Well, nothing I do seems to work anyway. And I think maybe they don't even want help. So I'm just going to like forget it. And we do that and it really abandons somebody. And it's understandable to have those feelings. But I think having that mindset that what God calls us to do is to be there. And just love them. And serve. And encourage. You don't have to fix it. That's not your job. And 
you know, really understanding that that is the most important thing you can do, right? It all boils down to loving God and loving your neighbor. Like, that's it. It's loving your brother or sister when they're in a time of need. Serving them. Empathizing with them. And that when you really can do that, you are being like Jesus. And that is the best thing that you can do. I hope that helps give some insight.